What's up, y'all, and welcome into the Jack Vita Show. I am your host, as always, Jack Vita, alongside legendary baseball writer Bob Nightingale. Today, we are going to discuss a little bit of baseball news. There's plenty going on. Aaron Judge just hit his 57th home run the other night. Julio Rodriguez is making history right now, and we're in the thick of an exciting American League and really a uh, lot of there's some interesting playoff races going on right now. So I don't want to waste any more time. I want to say uh, good morning to USA Today's Bob Nightingale. Bob, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing great. Thanks, Jack. It's great to have you here. It's a Thursday morning. What's this Thursday looking for you? Looking like for you, Bob? Well, just saw the Dodgers clinch in uh, you know Phoenix, Arizona. They're on pace for you know historic run. You know probably uh, the franchise record is 106. This will be the third year in a row they'll have 106 wins or more, which would be an all-time record. Uh, now waiting for the Padres to hit town. Padres are supposed to be like the Dodgers this year. Now just struggling to get into the playoffs. Yeah, you were pretty high on the Padres. You had them to win the division, right? No, I always had that. I had, certainly had made the playoffs a long run. I still had the Dodgers all the way, but I certainly thought that it would be close. I thought the Padres would push them. They haven't pushed them at all. <laughs> Why do you think it is that we haven't talked about the Dodgers as much? I mean, is it that we're just so used to them being this dominant? Yeah, that's exactly it, Jack. I think it's like the Yankees in the 90s, uh, you know, Atlanta in the 90s, early 2000s. I mean, Atlanta won 14 straight uh, division titles. I didn't think it was, anybody would even come close to it. This would be the Dodgers' ninth division title in 10 years. In the year they didn't win it, they won 106 games. <laughs> so, you know, we're seeing another dynasty this time out west. Now, we've. Uh, it's really interesting looking ahead at the National League playoffs. I think there are four contenders, and I think there's a drop-off between teams uh, one through four and then five through seven that are in the hunt. I think you've got uh, the all three division champs, and then whichever team does not win the NL East, whether it be the Braves or the Mets, I, I think those are your four best teams. Do you think that the Padres, Phillies, or Brewers, whoever ends up getting in, has a realistic shot to surpass those teams in the NL race? You know, I don't. Uh, I mean, the Padres could with that pitching staff, but they've underachieved all year. I mean, you know, you do have Hugh Darvish. He's been lights out. Joe Musgrove has until lately. So, you know, they could uh, certainly shut down a team. You know, and then you got Mike Clevenger and, uh, you know, and on from there. Uh, you, know, you know, Blake Snell. That's the top four, four guys. But, you know, they just kind of underachieved all year. You wonder about them. So, I mean, you can make the argument the top teams in the National League are the two out east, you know, with Mets and Atlanta. And, of course, the Dodgers with St. Louis would be a slight drop-off. So I'd probably go those three in the upper tier. And then St. Louis, just a notch right below them. Yeah, I think, I think St. Louis is dangerous, though. I mean, they're peaking at the right time. This is what they did last year. Only I think they're a lot better than they were last year. The lineup's great. It was great last year. They play great defense. But this pitching staff, once they added Quintana and Montgomery, I think those were better pickups than last year when they got Jay Happ and John Lester. Yeah, I agree with that. That could be dangerous. I think the whole key is Adam Wainwright. Uh, you know, he could be on uh, and pitch as good as anybody, or he could just be so-so. I think he'd be as on, 
uh, very dangerous team. They got Miles Mikolas behind them. Jack Flaherty's X Factor. If Flaherty's back oh, yeah. pitching that rotation, that can be very scary. Yeah, with Flaherty pitching the way that he has pitched, um, if he if he can be eighty percent of what he was three years ago when he was the most dominant pitcher in the National League in the second half of the season, like you said, that's a game changer for them. Yeah. I mean, when he was right a few years ago, I mean, he was as good as anybody. So, you know, injuries have uh, derailed his career, but he'd be a, uh, a huge pickup. And Montgomery's pitched well. I, Quintana, I think, is a fourth or fifth type starter, uh, certainly helping get into the playoffs. But Montgomery's got a chance to be, uh, you know, do some damage. Uh, he's been unbelievable since they got him. Well, last night, Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina made history as the as a battery, as a unit with the most starts together, a catcher and a pitcher, 325, passing Mickey Lolich and Bill Freehan, and their record had stood for 47 years. Did you ever think that we'd see something like this in your time of covering baseball, Bob? I really didn't, just because guys move around for the agency. I mean, certainly, you know, Molina could have left. You know, Wainwright could have left. They both stayed around. I mean, how many guys just stay in the organization uh, for that period of time, let alone, you know, a pitcher and a catcher? So I'm not sure this thing will ever be eclipsed. I really don't. Uh, you know, you look at a great pitcher like Garrett Cole, uh, you know, he's organized his third organization. So, you know, I mean, if, you know, Kershaw could have done it, there was some Dodger catcher that stayed around that long. But, you know, they kind of mix them up every, you know, four or five years here. So I think this could stay around for a long, long time. Yeah, it could be. A, it end, could end up being one of the untouchable records. I mean, the Cardinals Twitter put it out last night. They said no one's ever going to touch this. So <laughs> can't touch this. <laughs> right. Yeah. You never know. I always hate to say never because they, uh, you know, said, oh, I'll never see a 300 game winner again. But, you know, how about Justin Berlander? So you, you never know on things. I think we'll see. A, I think we'll see a 400 hitter one day. So never say never. Uh, it could certainly come around at, at, at some point, but, you know, it could be a long time. Yeah, you would need a pitcher and a catcher who stay on the same team for a really long time and stay healthy, too. Those are two key things, which you need both guys to stay healthy and both guys to stay teammates. I guess they could go to a different team together, but that also they'd have to be like a David Ross, John Lester kind of deal. <laughs> right, yeah, good point. Yeah, okay, you're talking about, you know, making 35 starts at a minimum of 10 years in a row. Who does that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that you know, it's funny was I looked back and they put out, they also put out the video yesterday. It was from Wainwright's first start. Uh, if people are interested in that, you can go look at the Cardinals Twitter. And it was 2007, you know, Bob, at that point in time, so April, whatever, April 7th or something, April 8th, something like that, 2007. Just to go for people to know how long ago that was, the iPhone had not been released. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's a, it's a uh, amazing. I mean, back then it was like the uh, the National League it was the, the Phillies were starting a little bit of a dynasty. And what's interesting is uh, 2011, the Phillies are built up, win another World Series. The uh, Cardinals upset them in the best of five. Uh, you know, when they uh, uh, won game five in Philadelphia, I think it was 1 0. The two franchises went completely different directions. The Cardinals couldn't stop. Uh, 
losing, you know, kind of built a dynasty here. And the Phillies haven't been back in the playoffs since. And the it's funny you mentioned the Phillies. That I was thinking about that team recently because I actually got in touch with one of the guys from that team, Kyle Kendrick. I'm going to have him on this show sometime in the near future. Um, but those teams were just so good. And it, like you said, it's it was pretty shocking to see how quickly the Phillies fell off from, I think they won five straight division titles to not making the postseason. And they're the longest tenured National League team without a postseason appearance. But they're hoping to change that at this particular juncture. Uh, they have, let's see, how much of a lead do they have? I pull that up. But they're playing some good baseball. Yeah, just like a game and a half leader or so, but they should make the playoffs. Yeah, the game five, it was Carpenter versus uh, Holiday. And they, uh, you know, I mean, I mean, they're best of friends. And, uh, and Carpenter beat them. And uh, <laughs> in the last play of the game, uh, you know, Ryan Howard blew out his Achilles at first base. And, uh, and he was never quite the same uh, after that. So they have a two-and-a-half game lead on the Padres. They've won five straight. And then Milwaukee is two games back of San Diego. Do you think we're going to see the Phillies? Do you think everything's going to remain the same in terms of – I got not, not who wins the NL East. We can get to that in a second. But Phillies, Padres, two and three, and then Milwaukee on the outs. Or do you think this is going to change in some particular manner? No, I think it'll stay the same. They really do. I don't think Milwaukee's good enough. Uh, they've had injuries or pitching staff. They really haven't hit all year. So I, I believe they'll stay like this. And it's too bad that baseball's expanded playoffs happened this year because they would have been fabulous, uh, you know, if you saw those teams just fighting for one spot. Same yeah. thing with the American League, which has been decided for weeks uh, to have, you know, uh, you know, the Rays and the uh, you know Mariners uh, Blue Jays fighting for two of those spots. So this is the one year, the first year of it, where it really hasn't worked out. I agree. I had that thought too. And you could even make the argument in the National League, this would be a good year to just have four teams get in. Just take those, uh, take the division champs and then the NL East team because they're, I mean, the Braves are currently in that spot in the National League, but they're up seven and a half games on the Phillies. Um, so this would be the type of year where the old wild card format before the wild card game would be great for the National League. Just skip ahead and get to the action. Yeah, that would be a you know even for the uh, NL East title, nobody wants a part of a one game playoff. If you have a best of three all at your home site, not that big of a difference. Uh, so yeah, I, I think it would have made the NL East race even much greater. That's true. Yeah. That's a that's a really good point, um, and then yeah, I'm a, I'm with you on Milwaukee as well. It, they're kind of like the anti Cleveland Guardians, where they score all their runs on home runs. They don't put the ball in play a whole lot. They strike out a lot. They don't hit for a high average. But I'm loving watching this Guardians team on the other side of things. I think they're 27th or 28th in home runs. They beat teams. Old school baseball, put the ball in play, grab an extra base, play some great defense, good pitching staff, both in the rotation and in the bullpen. 
And they have a chance today, Bob, to really and well, they they really do over the next week to wrap up this American League Central division title. They have a four game lead on the White Sox. They play today in Cleveland. Uh, the White Sox are your next closest team. And they also have a five-game series with the Twins coming up this weekend. And then another three-game series here in Chicago with the White Sox. Yeah. I mean, Cleveland, I think they've used 14 or 15 guys that made their major league debut this year. They didn't really do anything at the trade deadline. Uh, you know, the only team that AL Central that did were the Minnesota Twins uh, thinking, okay, next year will be their year. Well, you know, this year is their year. Uh, this team's going to be a team to be reckoned with for quite a number of years now. Uh, they got a chance to put a, uh, a nice run together. Uh, you know, with the White Sox window, it seems like it's closing a lot quicker than they envision. And, uh, you know, Minnesota went with it for those trades, and uh, it has not worked out for them. Could you see the Guardians doing anything this offseason in terms of a free agent or a trade to add maybe one more big bat to their lineup? Well, they used to, uh, you know, I think they sold 30% of franchise to the guy who uh, owns the 76ers and Flyers and that sort of thing. Uh, if, you know, he puts his money in there, which he should, uh, then I could see him doing something. You know, just spend an extra $30, $40 million and give this team a chance to win a World Series, you know, going to get there just like it did in 2016, when if they weren't banged up, they probably would have won the World Series. Oh, they should. They still should have won that World Series. They were up three to one with Brantley and some of their best pitchers out, and they still almost won that World Series. And that, you know, is interesting is it was like you were waiting for one of those two teams to lose the World Series because that's what they both do, the Cubs and the Indians at the time. Um, and unfortunately for the Cleveland fans, it was the Cleveland side of things. They came up short. Um, but they have great fans. I went to a game last year. Great people there in Cleveland. They love their teams, unwaveringly loyal. And I, I just think when I was watching them play against the Mariners, where the Man Mariners took six of seven or something like that from them over back-to-back -back weekends. I was just thinking if if the Guardians had one more big bat in this lineup, I think they could be on that playing field with the teams that are competing to win the American League. Now, I think they're going to be a tough team to beat in the postseason regardless. I think they're going to be – they're a scrappy team. And like you know, like we said, they're kind of annoying to play against because they just keep putting the ball in play and they're going to make – try to force you to make mistakes in the field. Do you think they have a chance here to get out of the American League or is it, is it the Astros and then everyone else? Yeah, probably Astros, Yankees, everybody else. Uh, the one team – I think they're going to uh, stun people in the postseason. We see the Mariners with, yeah. that, with that starting rotation. And when you got, you know, Luis Castillo, who is easily the best pickup at the deadline, you know, when you're going with the uh, Robbie Ray, Logan Gilbert, George Kirby, that's a tough one through four. We don't know how those young guys will react in the postseason, the, uh, the position players. But, you know, they certainly have the horses to, uh, you know, knock off the Yankees or even knock off an Astros. Uh, so I, I don't. I don't foresee Cleveland getting out of it this year, or maybe, you know, or White Sox if they win it. Uh, I still think it comes down to Yankees and Astros with the Astros still being the team to beat once again. Yeah, if it comes down to those two teams, I just don't put, I would not put any money on the Yankees to finally beat the Astros because they have not been able to. And until I see it, 
I'm going to favor the Astros. I think they're going to win the American League again, unless one of these teams can get hot and provide prove to be a tough matchup for them. That's typically how these teams go down, is if there's a team that just, for whatever reason, does, match, does not match up well against them. No. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the rotation for Houston is lights out. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, Verlander has been, uh, you know, out for a while. Framer Valdez has been very solid. But if uh, one of those two guys lose a game, then it's like, okay, well, let's see what happens. Uh, you know, interesting about the Astros-Yankees, they played seven times this year. Never once the Yankees come to the plate with a lead. Their two wins were walk-off wins. So uh, it's been, a, uh, you know, fun to watch the Astros. Just, you know, they've had a nice little mini dynasty here since uh, 2016 when they started making the playoffs. And going back to the AL Central, so the Guardians have a four-game lead on the White Sox. Again, they play each other today. And the White Sox have won 10 of 14 under acting manager Miguel Cairo, but it ha- they've barely moved because the Guardians have won six straight. They've won eight of nine. And really, if you took out that stretch where the Mariners beat up on them, and I think they had another series, the Orioles took a series from them. If you take that stretch out, they're playing about as anybody in the American League, as well as anybody in the American League. Um, but the White Sox are in this interesting position where they're 10 and five under Miguel Cairo. What do you think this, the future holds for Cairo potentially as a manager in this sport, Bob? Well, he's opened up some eyes for sure. I mean, he's always well thought of a 17 year veteran. Uh, you know, I think what, uh, really got people's attention was his first game as an interim manager, they lost at Kansas City. And he aired those guys out, saying, you guys want to be here or not? If not, get out of this room. Uh, you know, we need to be cohesive here. Uh, you guys have underachieved all year. Now, when I was talking about it, you know, in Oakland last weekend, he says, you know, I said, you tell them that you're embarrassing yourselves? Because I didn't go that far. But I told him, it's like, you don't get these opportunities very often. Uh, if you don't take advantage of this one, you're going to regret it maybe for the rest of your lives. And they, you know, they played better under him. But yeah, uh, they need, you know, Minnesota plays them five times uh, in four days. They need Minnesota to win about three or four of those games. <laughs> well, they also have a chance to uh, scratch their way back in this division. They could, the Sox could win today. And then if they could sweep the Guardians at home, that would be your four games right there if they could keep winning. So they have a chance. Yeah. You know, the one thing for uh, you know, the White Sox to talk about, too, is that the last six games of the season, the Guardians play the Kansas City Royals. All six are in Cleveland. <laughs> so you can't count on a whole lot of help there. You almost need a lead going to that last uh, week. Yeah, that's true. So do you think Tony's back next year? I don't know. Uh, my gut tells me no. <clears throat> I think he's back sometime this year if they follow the race. Say uh, say a week from now, you know, it's almost like hopeless, you know, to say they're six or seven back. Then I say they bring Tony back and say, okay, how's he responding and everything else. So my gut tells me this is it. Uh, we'll see. I mean, he wants to – he's a type of guy, very competitive guy. I mean, he wants to manage until the day he dies. Uh, you see that in baseball circles. Whether you know whether scouts or executives, 
Uh, guys have a hard time giving up, and uh, yeah, he does too. But I think, you know, if they follow the race, I think we'll see him back. And then I think that his uh, fate will come this offseason. He won't get fired, but, you know, pushed upstairs or something like that. And if that ends up happening, do you think Cairo is next in line for this managerial job? You know, I do. I, I wouldn't have said that two weeks ago. I would have thought <laughs> they'd go out and try to hire Bruce Bochy or, you know, some uh, young managerial candidate out there. Uh, you know, if, if Cora left Boston, that sort of thing. Uh, but yeah, I think the way Cairo has reacted uh, and the front office is uh, in tune with him, I think he'd be the, the, the favorite, if not the heavy favorite. And if Larusa is to return, could Cairo be a guy who we see interviewing for potentially the Rangers job or whatever other jobs open up? Yeah, I think you know Rangers uh, is open. You got you know Angels should be open. Uh, uh, Marlins probably open. <clears throat> so yeah, I mean then they you can't keep them from uh, you know getting one of those jobs because it's a promotion. So yeah, I, I would think you'd definitely interview Miguel Cairo. Yeah, he's done a great job, and like we said, the reason they haven't moved is because the Guardians have just been better over the last uh, week. So it'll be interesting to see what happens um, elsewhere in the sport. Aaron Judge hit his 57th home run. Uh, really, that was a fun game to watch a couple nights ago with the Red Sox. They ended up coming back twice because he was a one-man wrecking crew, hit two solo home runs each time, tying the game. Then they went on to win the game in extra innings at Fenway Park. Um, so Judge hits 56, 57. He's four away from tying Roger Maris for the American League record of 61 home runs. Certainly looks like he's going to not just pass, uh, tie him, but also pass him. Bob, is this something that we should be making a bigger deal of? I mean, I, I think people like you and I understand the significance and the history here, but it, for whatever reason, hasn't taken off in the national media as a story the way that this home run chase did 20 years ago. No, just times are different. I'm not sure we'll ever see something like that, that you know, that we saw in 98. You know, that was so fun. I mean, that was a thing where when those guys were hitting home runs, you know, they were breaking into news shows, you know, that was on, those guys were on the cover of uh, McGuire and Sosa, cover of Time Magazine and Sportsman of the Year, you know, things like that. Uh, so, but yeah, I mean, it's more of a New York type story now, but it, it should be more national just because when you're talking about American League record, you know, talking 1961 and, you know, uh, obviously Maris being as great as he was. So uh, I think we should, you know, make a big thing when he hits the 62nd home run. I know it's not the record, you know, it's Bonds. But, you know, talking to Mark McGuire about a week ago, he thinks that Judge will break Aaron's record. I mean, uh, Bonds record one day that, okay, you get 65, 66, whatever. This year is like, okay, you, know, you can't come back next year and hit eight more. You know, of course you could. That's interesting. So if he were to pass Maris, is there any kind of special distinction we could give him as while he did not hit the most home, if he's not passing bonds, but he, so he did not hit the most home runs in a single season. However, he was never linked to any performance enhancing drugs. Is there any kind of special distinction that we could give him for accomplishing this feat, doing it quote unquote, the right way? I don't think so. I mean, I just think the miracle records enough. I mean, you know, the all-time home run leader is Barry Bonds, like it or not. 
It's not Hank Aaron. It's Barry Bonds. Uh, you know, so I, I think it's cool enough that's a marathon record, it's a Yankee record. And then, uh, you know, even you talk to Aaron Judge, he says, hey, the record holder is Barry Bonds. He did it. You know, he deserves it. So, you know, the one thing, too, about the performance-hensing drug guys is Barry Bonds faced plenty of hitters on the juice. So did McGuire, True. so did Sosa. You know, that was, you know, I'm not saying everybody used that by any means, but it was so widespread. It was almost an, an even playing field between, you know, the guys who were juicing in the mound and the guys who were juicing at the plate. I've been reading, I'm almost finished with it. I've been reading the Game of Shadows book and it's just crazy because I was I was relatively young at that point in time. I mean, I'm 28, so 2001, I was seven years old, I guess. Um, but it's just kind of crazy to look back at how big that scandal became and not just in the way of in just baseball, but how we're having it's moving into government. We're having senators talking about this, the president, congressional hearings. That was a, a very strange time in our sport. It was. I mean, that Jeff Nabisky, the lead, uh, you know, investigator there uh, going after these guys. I mean, it really brought down the, the game at track and field. I and mean, that's where it really hit. You know, got involved with the uh, the baseball, when, you know, with Bonds and Jambi and that sort of thing. But uh, it also makes you wonder, you know, what's going on now? Remember the biogenesis thing? You know, that got 15 guys. I think there were like over 80 in the uh, in the uh, paperwork. Uh, and those guys never tested positive for uh, PEDs. So, you know, I think the scientists are always going to be uh, ahead of the game. Uh, so, you know, sometimes you look at guys and it makes you wonder, hey, is this guy clean or not? And that, that's unfortunate. Yeah, I think one thing that's interesting is when you see pitchers increasing their velocity and we've got stuff like driveline and these programs to do that and i don't doubt that that is legitimate but it also does like you said we've lost trust in these athletes it, it, you do kind of raise an eyebrow and say could there some be something else going on with some of these other guys yeah i mean you see some uh, you know physiques difference guys all of a sudden start performing to levels they never had before you know, it's the, uh, easy to, to think about it. It, it. It's a shame it works that way. But, you know, you you, uh, you talk to guys, there's stuff they can take when they leave the ballpark and out of their system or it won't uh, detect a red flag the next day when they play a game. So, uh, like I said, the biogenesis thing was a scary thing, involving so many players and not a single guy tested positive. It was interesting because I remember I read, I looked something up about biogenesis recently because I was interested in it because I've been reading the Balco stuff. And what was interesting was there were NBA players that the clinic had said there were NBA players coming to biogenesis. They reached out to the league and the league pretty much turned a blind eye to it. If I am, uh, if maybe I, I'm not using the proper language, but nothing really came of that. It didn't sound like the NBA really looked into it the way that Major League Baseball did. Yeah, I think the, uh, you know, I think it resonates a lot more with the uh, baseball fans and, and track and field fans. Uh, it's almost like football. They want their, they want your guys to take stuff. Uh, <laughs> NBA, you want it for energy. You know, not, not, so, not steroids for NBA, but, you know, uh, some performance sensing drugs just because so much energy is involved. It's such a uh, it's such a long season. So yeah, in, in baseball, I think people you know get up in arms a lot more than the other sports in track and field. 
So we have another guy who's really been making history lately. Julio Rodriguez of the Seattle Mariners yesterday became the fastest player to get 25 home runs, 25 stolen bases in his rookie season. He did so in 125 games, which surpasses Mike Trout, who previously did it in 128 games. There's only one other rookie to have a 25-25 rookie season. You know who that is, Bob? I, I, uh, I thought there were two. I thought, wasn't Mike Cameron one of them? I'm trying to take the other guy. I didn't see Mike Cameron. I saw another outfielder, though, from, I'll give you the year, 2007. Uh, yeah, I just saw the, you saw the stat yesterday. I'm trying to think <laughs> of the other guy. Go ahead. Chris Young. That's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. I'm you know, look I might up be thinking, yeah. And, uh, yeah, Chris Young started off uh, great. You know, had a nice career. But, yeah, people forget about, uh, yeah, what he was doing. Let's see. Mike Cameron. No, he had 14 and 23 his rookie year. Okay. Yeah, I was thinking of a, uh, yeah, maybe there's some Seattle Mariner mark that he that he broke or something like that. Probably. I mean, he's, he's doing everything right now. I mean, yeah. earlier in the week, him and Michael Harris became the first players 21 and under to each hit two home runs in a game. And this guy's must-see TV. I talked to a Mariners fan last night by the name of Mario Lanza, and I said, I asked him, I said, who is the, actually, well, he said to me, he said, we've never had a rookie that's been this exciting before. And Ichiro won rookie of the year, or he won MVP as a rookie. But I think the thing for Julio compared to Ichiro is Ichiro came in and he was closer to 30. And Rodriguez is just scratching the surface of what this guy can be. And the ceiling is so high. And he's he's got power, which Ichiro did not have. No, but go back a little further. I mean, he's not Ken Griffey Jr. I mean, <laughs> Ken Griffey Jr. was the greatest thing that ever happened to the Mariners breaking in. I mean, nobody was like Griffey and obviously a Hall of Fame player, uh, all the home runs, everything Griffey did, you know, one of the greatest players who ever lived. So, uh, yeah, go back past each row. I mean, well, he, with the age, it's like, okay, yeah, he was, he was already a star in Japan. Uh, <laughs> but Griffey was younger and, and greater. He he would take Rodriguez over Griffey, and uh, he's a, he's close to the age of fifty. So I don't know. That's what that's what he said as a Mariners. Yeah, no, no, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> that I mean, Griffey is one of the greatest players of all time. Yeah, and uh, we'll see. I mean, it's tough to put that burden on any uh, young player. <laughs> and uh, but yeah, Griffey was awfully awfully special. Oh, I mean, my he was gosh. he was a face of baseball. He was. Uh, incredible he's great he had a baseball he had a video game named after him ken griffey jr baseball i played that game as a kid um but rodriguez has got to be the runaway favorite for the american league and or uh rookie of the year he does i mean some guys had some great years i mean yeah. of uh, cleveland and uh wit of kansas city but yeah no he'll he should win the thing in a landslide particularly the fact that uh i mean juan's got cleveland playing well but the fact what the uh mariners are doing so i think it'll be unanimous um, National League, are you are you favoring Strider or Harris? I'm going to favor Harris, being an everyday player, uh, playing you know, unbelievable defense with the offense. I saw the Atlanta came through Phoenix at the end of May. He had just got called up. 
And they said they couldn't care less whether it could hit or not, but just, you know, wanted him that defense and energy. But he's, uh, they took off when he did it. Strider made his first start in Phoenix. So he's pitched exceptionally well. But I got to go uh, Harris one, Strider two. Yeah, I would do the same. I think part of it is that in um, with all due respect to Strider, and I don't want to diminish what he's done this year, pitching is more dominant than hitting in today's game. So I think it's more rare for a guy in the outfield to do what Harris is doing versus what um, Strider's doing as a pitcher. But this pitching staff for the Braves is another one that is looking very, very strong heading into the postseason. Yeah, yeah, very strong. Uh, you know, one through four. That'd be yeah, when Charlie Morton's gonna be your number four starter, you know, going into the uh you know postseason, it tells you how uh, strong that is. You know, when you have uh you know Freed and, and Strider and you know, right, uh it's a it's a powerful team, good solid bullpen. Now let's put it this way, Jack. I mean last year they won the World Series. This year's Atlanta team is much better than a year ago. Yeah. Their pitching, I think Kyle Wright is really the key guy in that pitching staff. I think everyone's talking about Freed as a Cy Young Award potential uh, candidate. And then, of course, Strider as your rookie of the year. And then Morton is a veteran who's been battle tested and come up so many times for his teams in the postseason. But Kyle Wright came coming into this year had an ERA over six in his career. A lot of Braves fans had lost hope, maybe given up on him, had lowered their expectations. He was a top five pick out of Vanderbilt, and he's been exceptional this year. He's got an ERA right around three. He leads the league in national. He leads the national league in wins, and that I think he's been a real key piece to that team. On the other side of things, I want to before we go here. I want to mention the Mets just got swept by the Chicago Cubs. I mean, the Braves ended up losing two or three on a West Coast trip to the San Francisco Giants, but the Mets had the Cubs come into their own house. We were talking coming into the week, this was a good chance for the Mets to pick up some ground on the Braves. And what ends up happening is, you know, some people argue strength of schedule a lot in terms of what's most important. You still got to beat these teams. Anybody can beat anybody on any given day. And last night, David Peterson got shelled, pulled from his start after recording just one out in the first inning. Are you starting to feel some concern for the Mets if you weren't feeling that already, Bob? Uh, you know, not much. I mean, like you said, they don't win the division. And I never thought they would. Uh, they've been playing unbelievable baseball. They'll be fine. I mean, all it counts is postseason. Say to the wild card team, you know, we can line up, you know, Scherzer and Grom one, two, should get them the next round, and we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, I, I think people kept dismissing Atlanta all season long. Even when I looked, you know, when they were running Ray with it with 10 games, it's like, hold on a second now. It's way too early. And to your point, Jack, with strength of schedule, you know, that's why it's bogus. You know, it's like depends how good that team is playing that time. And remember, you know, that those young teams are out of the race. They have uh, nothing to lose. Uh, they can take all kinds of chances, uh, you know, without any uh, regrets. And with the uh, the teams are supposed to win, all of a sudden you're feeling pressure. Like, uh-oh, uh, you know, you kind of stress out some at-bats, some pitches, that sort of thing. You know, I think maybe the Yankees were feeling that a little bit themselves until, you know, sweeping the, uh, the Red Sox. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, 
the Cubs had lost their last six series, but maybe they get up for this road trip in New York as an opportunity. Each guy says, well, I'm going to get to face Jacob deGrom. I'd like to be able to tell my kids that I got hit off this guy. Um, and I mean, they ended up rolling through and taking three straight. And I was, that was probably the thing that shocked me the most this week so far. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, man. I wonder what the odds were of the uh, Cubs going in there and sweeping uh, Mets <laughs> in New York. And the thing about New York, too, is, you know, I'm not sure they would have been, been able to do that at Wrigley Field just because of the laid-back atmosphere at Wrigley now, you know, uh, having a fun, relaxing, drinking beer in the stands. We're in New York. You still that high intensity. So I think the New York fans probably brought that energy out of, uh, out of the Cubs, and the Cubs stepped up their game. All right, Bob. Last thing, what are you looking for the rest of this week? What 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 are you watching going into the weekend? Well, I'm going to watch the uh, San Diego Padres to see if they can uh, hold on to this thing. I mean, it's amazing is what you know what they did before the start of the season. Certainly, what they did the trade deadline. Everybody's going crazy about oh, this is the team to beat now. Uh, they're going to scare the Dodgers. You know, never happened. Uh, Juan Soto has been a mess since he got traded from Washington to San Diego. You know, people, as I mean, people say, oh, this guy's next to Ted Williams and all this. Well, you better hit more than 100 in uh, in San Diego. And he's been there <laughs> for six weeks now. He's only driven in six runs. So uh, they need Soto to step up his game. He's already starting to get booed in San Diego. And San Diego's you know, laid back town as you can get. So very interesting to see what happens to the Padres. Joey Manessis, his replacement, is outperforming him just like – Juan Soto did after Bryce Harper left the team and they won the <laughs> World Series. So keep an eye on Manessis. I mean, he's 30 year old rookie. I'm not saying that he's ever, I don't, I'm not saying he's going to end up being better than Soto, but he's playing some good baseball right now. And it's been kind of fun to watch to see, you know, a guy like that getting that opportunity and really shining and making the most of his moment. Yeah. And I, uh, I mean, yeah, it's, if San Diego didn't make the playoffs, it'd be one of the, uh, you know, especially after the epic collapse last year, you know, it'd be one of the most embarrassing things for, for any franchise. Uh, you know, you got $240, $250 million payroll and uh, stole the trade deadline. And to play, you know, to play this mediocre is, you know, frankly kind of embarrassing. So we'll see what happens. You know, had they go on a nice little run in the, uh, in the playoffs, everything's forgotten. You know, a little bit like the White Sox. White Sox make the playoffs. The first five months are, are forgotten too. If the Padres were to fall out and the team that traded them, Josh Hader, moved in, the Brewers get into the postseason, the Padres miss, what happens next in San Diego? Do things remain the same or are could there be major changes coming? I don't think major changes. I mean, you just hired Bob Melvin. They're not going to let him go. Uh, A.J. Prellers, I think, locked the GMs locked up to 2004, 24, maybe 2025. But I think everybody would be on the hot seat uh, next year, particularly Preller. I mean, he's the architect of this team and uh, is so top-heavy and you just don't have the kind of depth. And remember now, with all these trades, they've traded away a lot of uh, minor league prospects. Bob, uh, anything else for today that we should be keeping an eye on? Do you want to promote any of your work, your Twitter handle, anything like that? No, you see me a fun year down uh, the rest of the way. Uh, the MVP races, you know, I'll take, uh, you know, Aaron Judge over Shohei Watani. <laughs> this is what, you know, 
hey, I think he should be unanimous. I know he's not going to be, but I, I would like to, uh, you know, reinforce the, it's the most valuable player award, you know, valuable. It's not a best player award. It was the best player award. Barry Bonds would have played, you know, won it 20 straight years. <laughs> uh, you know, we're going to do it that way. Does that mean every year, Otani, you know, let's give Otani the MVP award in spring training? So <laughs> I would like to say, you know, is most valuable. And uh, I think we've forgotten that over the years. I mean, you go back, Kurt Gibson won the uh, 88 uh, MVP over Daryl Strawberry. Strawberry's numbers were much better than Gibson, but the Dodgers don't make the playoffs without him. Uh, Terry Pellington, his numbers weren't as good as Bonds in 91. Pellington won the MVP. You know, even Jeff Kenton uh, Bonds. So, uh, you know, that sort of thing. But I think we get too lost in some of these numbers uh, without realizing the word viable. I mean, Jack, you and I could play for the Angels. There would still be a fourth-place team, maybe a fifth. You take Judge away from the uh, Yankees, they're not sitting where they are. It might not be too hard for us to crack the Angels roster right now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just a uh, – but, yeah, I mean, the term viable means something, you know. I know people say, hey, you can't penalize them for being a bad team. No, you don't reward them either. I mean, the Angels haven't been a, uh, uh, in a pressure game since May. Uh, Yankees are a pressure game every single day. So, uh, you know, the National League, I'd probably take, you know, right now, Paul Goldschmidt over the field. Oh, that one's yeah. interesting when you got, you know, a Freddie Freeman, uh, a Mookie Betts, and Austin Riley, and, you know, Nolan Arenado. That, you know, that could be a, a fun race to watch down the stretch. Well, I like what you said about most valuable. Have you always voted like, 90% of the time, are you voting for a guy whose team makes the postseason? Yeah, I would say uh, maybe even higher, 95%. Uh, yeah, plus. Uh, at least you got to be in the race uh, to make it. You know, it, it, you know, pressure. You know, it's like a, uh, you know, Pottery fans are talking about Josh Bell. You know, has Josh Bell ever played in a pressure game in the, uh, you know, Pittsburgh and Washington? It's just, a, it's a different thing trying to get your guys over the hump. Uh, Aaron Judge has been under a tremendous pressure. Even when they were uh, not winning the second half, he was the only guy trying to get them uh, over the top by, by playing so well. Can the term most valuable be applied even if your team is not good? You could still be most valuable even if your team isn't performing? I think only your stats have got to be so much greater than everybody else, like uh, Andre Dawson back in the day. Uh, but yeah, I think that's the only way. I think if it's close, you know, you gotta, you know, give it to, uh, you know, the guy who's, you know, team's in the hunt. I know last year, you know, the Vlad Guerrero and Otani thing, but Otani's, you know, uh, season had never been done before. You know, now he's doing it again, you know, a little bit what you said, Jack, with people not paying much attention to judge and maybe even a, a pool holes, uh, might be the same thing with Otani. Okay. We've seen that already. Let's move on to the next guy. Well, you mentioned Pujols. I feel like we have to bring him up before we go. Three home runs away from 700. Do you think he gets there? Oh, absolutely. Uh, it's amazing what he's done the second half. You know, first half, it's like, oh, man, too bad he's not going to make a run for this thing. Uh, sat down with him for about an hour uh, a couple weeks ago. He's not coming back no matter what. So he could be at six six nine nine. He's not coming back for 700. <laughs> so the big thing for him was to pass uh, A-Rod. Now he's on the, uh, you know, fourth of all time. He was on the uh, Mount Rushmore of home run hitters. 700 is such a cool number, but 
It doesn't take anything away from Albert Pujols if he ends up at 699. But I do believe he gets 700. And I hope he gets it in St. Louis. That place would go nuts. Well, the Cardinals look like they're going to end up being locked into this number three spot in the postseason unless these NLA's teams really fell off here over the last three weeks, which just seems so unlikely. Um, I Could there be a possibility that the Cardinals – enter the last week of the season pretty much wrapped up in the same spot. They've won the division, they're the three seed, and then you let could they let Pujols play every day in that situation? Oh, absolutely. I think they'd have to, uh, particularly in that homestand. Uh, I know they, their last three at home is the weekend uh, before the last three regular season games. Uh, they're playing the uh, Pirates. So uh, you guarantee he will start every single one of those games if he's uh, just shy of 700. Bob, uh, thank you so much for your time. You guys can follow him at, is it B Nightingale? At B Correct, Nightingale? Jack. At B Nightingale on Twitter. Read his work at USA Today. He's been there how many years, Bob? Since 98. 98. Yeah. So since the home run chase. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. From one home run chase to the next, uh, almost 25 years later, he's been doing a great job over there. So make sure you guys follow him. Bob, sorry if we ran a little long. Thank you so much for your time today. My pleasure. Take care, Jack. All right, y'all. That concludes our conversation today with Bob Nightingale of USA Today. He's been there a long time. He's been crushing it. He's one of the people that I try to emulate in this business. Uh, I've been over at Fastball now for a few weeks on Sports Illustrated Fan Nation's website, so you guys can check out my work over there. Uh, but it's been, I just wrapped up my fourth week and am loving it so far. It's been a lot of fun. You can catch my work over there, 40 stories a week um, running through the postseason. And we got a few weeks left here of the regular season. We'll have more of these podcast conversations coming up with more people from the game of baseball. So be on the lookout for that. Make sure you guys subscribe to the Jack Vita show on Apple podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, check out my work over at fastball. Uh, just Google sports illustrated fastball fan nation fastball. And you can find all of my work over there. You can also log on to my personal website, jackvita.com. Uh, more content over there. I haven't been writing as much over there because I'm doing all the writing at Fastball, but I'm posting every podcast episode over there. So again, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out. If you guys like the show, please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Jack Vita Show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, again, YouTube, wherever it is that you get your podcasts. We just wrapped up a fun conversation um, a few days ago. I made mention of Kyle Kendrick in today's episode. He pitched on the Phillies, won a World Series in 2000, 2008. Wow, I almost said 2007. I don't know what's wrong with me. That was 07 was the first year that they won the division. And then in 08, they won the World Series. Anyway, uh, he's a good guy. And his wife, Stephanie, is a good friend of mine who is a legend from the show Survivor. You guys should probably remember her if you ever watched Survivor. And she was just on a new show called Snake in the Grass on USA Network, which is a great is a great episode, by the way. I highly recommend. It's just one episode. So if you're not a reality TV person, um, and maybe it's not your thing, but 40 minutes, if you need 40 minutes to kill, put it on. It should be on demand. Um you can find it somewhere if you have cable. Uh, just watch the episode. She was on with um, two 
big brother greats, Janelle Perzina and Rachel Riley, as well as another survivor legend, Suri Fields. And we spoke with all four of them in preparation and anticipation of the episode just a few weeks ago. So you guys can go check those episodes out. But if you guys are interested in watching the show, watch that show and then go back and listen to my conversation with Stephanie from earlier this week. And she tells all, she tells you everything that happened on this episode of Snake in the Grass. A little bit of a peek behind the curtain, what it was like for her to find out um, what she was exactly going to be doing on this show. And again, it was a really fun uh, conversation. She's always a joy to talk to, and I'm sure we'll be doing more uh, episodes with her as well. She loves sports, knows her sports, um, and has some good connections to people in sports as well. So um, we'll be back sometime next week, most likely, with another uh, conversation with someone talking some more baseball. We got three weeks left here in the regular season, and then we will move into uh, the postseason. So it's getting a little busy here over the next six weeks or so, uh, but should make for a lot of fun. So make sure you guys are all subscribed to the Jack Vita Show. And until our next episode, I'm Jack Vita, bringing the dancing lobsters. <laughs> <laughs>